Shelton, your host. Uh, welcome back to the show, and thank you very much for inviting us into your home this week so that we can regale you with more about emotional needs. This is part three in my series with Rachel Bernstein. You can see I am joined by Rachel. Hey, how, how, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Always a pleasure to be here. Yes, and we're just, we're jumping right in because uh, this is part three. I mean, everybody's kind of, you know, okay, we've covered We've covered emotional needs. We've broken it down into there are different models or ways of talking about what what is it that human beings have to have or experience in their life in order to feel emotionally satisfied, healthy, um, maybe mentally or, or, or emotionally healthy, um, happy, satisfied, at least normal. Mm -hmm. Right. It, it, what does it take for you in your life to feel like things are kind of under control? Everything's kind of good. Well, you have to have these needs fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And that's that's the basis of talking about these things or looking at these. Right. Is is that these are things that, that, that human beings have that we have. We all have varying individual needs, as we've talked about. But we can broadly categorize certain areas where all of us, generally speaking, if we don't address these areas, if we don't fulfill these areas, if we don't, you know, pay attention to them in some fashion or another, mm -hmm. then our lives could be upended or be in, in not such a great place. And conversely, mm -hmm. the other thing about this is that because these are needs and not wants, or desires, they are needs, mm -hmm. they can be leveraged against us, right? Mm -hmm. People can use these emotional needs to manipulate and control us by withdrawing our ability to fulfill the need or by controlling how that need is fulfilled, the means by which it is fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about lots of different examples of that as we've been going through this. I just wanted to give a little quick you know, here's where we're at. So, so Rachel, yes, I want to thank Chris. you for uh, for <laughs> walking through all these with me. Yeah, uh, it's, it's interesting, actually. It's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, because mm -hmm. you because this is kind of the the heart and soul, or the wolf and warp, or the 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 ingredients of what you the, the recipe ingredients that you deal with professionally mm -hmm. every day is sort of mm -hmm. leveraging or balancing these needs in people's lives. Is I mean, yeah. is that not a way of of looking at what 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 you do? Yeah, I think you're right. You know, when you look at people like Maslow, who sort of put things into categories and has given words to it, it actually really helps. Uh, and so I think this series that you've put together is a really good one to help people see all the different facets of what it means to be human. And then also how other people will exploit that and how to know also that you're being responded to in a healthy way versus an unhealthy way when it comes to needs. I think there is so much that happens when people are in controlled environments, controlled where they develop this different idea just about needs in general, that usually their needs don't matter. It's the need of the group or the need of the other that matters. So they, you can become detached from your needs and the interesting thing that I see a lot is that a lot of people leave these things feeling needy, like somehow they were given this impression that they're so needy because they just needed to have what is really the minimum. Um, but that was seen as selfish or somehow a weakness. Yeah, very much so. I, I like the way you put that. It makes me think about um, in a general sense, if we sort of step back out of any individual need and we just kind of look at the bigger picture of it, what you see with cultic or, or narcissistic relationships or situations, these abusive situations, is you see someone who is convinced 
that their needs can be put to the side, can be put on the back burner, can be ignored, or can be manipulated or twisted into something that doesn't really fulfill that need, even though it pretends to. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's a bit of a ledger. It's a bit of a karma, you know, scale kind of thing. And, and I don't mean karma in the sense of, uh, of, of fate. I just mean this idea that we have that, that you might think you're able to put these things on the back burner. You might think you can do without this. You might think mm-hmm. that you can let somebody else control these needs in you or that you can deny, you know, that you have these things. But it adds up. It does, you know, it doesn't, it just because you think it doesn't mean it's true. doesn't mean it's going to mm-hmm. go away. And a lot of the cult recovery work, I think, a lot of the recovery work that we do from with people who come out of these abusive situations is really trying to restore a balance or acknowledge that how out of whack those needs became. Right. And trying to sort of sort them back out again. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, does that, mm-hmm. what do you think of that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So sorting them back out is very hard. A lot of people will ask me, is it normal that like, that's sort of the, the intro. <laughs> a lot. Um, and right. Like I, I don't know if what I'm feeling is right. And does it sync up with the rest of the world anymore or ever uh, if you were born and raised and So I think that, yeah, a lot of people just need to get oriented to what is considered within, I mean, there isn't sort of one definition of normal, there's usually this spectrum, but sort of still what's in kind of the spectrum, even to one pole or the other, um, because people don't want to feel that they're so different. But I also think that um, I, I find a lot of people also um, apologize a lot somehow for things, just for needing something, you know, I'm sorry, but like somehow there's something wrong um, with them, with them just wanting something. Um, And so I think, yeah, it's good to kind of start from scratch and say, this is what human beings need and that it's okay to need it. Um, And that it comes in these forms, almost sort of giving them a vision again of how to be in the world and how to say, either I I need this or I feel like I even just want it mm-hmm. and that it's okay just to want things for yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Which, of course, it is. I mean, we are, we don't, mm-hmm. you know, there's nothing, nothing wrong with that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, you know, some of these are, uh, you know, pretty important to us. I mean, for example, just diving back into the list of of these and kind of going through them, um, mm-hmm. you know, we have, uh, we left off, we talked, we were talking about community and we were talking mm-hmm. about a sense of community and the, the, mm-hmm. the way that cults, for example, we talked about how they upend that sense of community or, or mm-hmm. overvalue. This mm-hmm. is an example of a case where you can take an emotional need and exaggerate its importance. Yes, we all need to feel that we're part of something, but cults take that and dial that need up to 11, Mm -hmm. as we say, Mm -hmm. where, you know, community becomes everything. It becomes the overriding need and priority in your life. And, And that's why people can start feeling emotionally exhausted and overwrought and anxious and really concerned about their place in the community is because there's a lot of manipulation around that emotional need when you yes. talk about cults. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So we, we talked about that last time and then now we kind of flip the script because the next one we're going to take up is privacy. Mm-hmm. Kind of the opposite end of that spectrum, mm-hmm. right? You want to feel part of something, but at the same time, we all have this need to be our own person and have mm-hmm. our own secrets, knowledge, mm-hmm. information, feelings about ourselves mm-hmm. and about the world and and this and this and the, and some sense that we can be left alone and that mm-hmm. not everything has to be shared and not everything right. has to be known about. And so we get to this this privacy point. How does mm-hmm. how do you run into this or encounter this in your practice? 
Oh, wow. So privacy is very, uh, very important that you get to have your own thoughts. Now that gets tampered with in some of these groups and with some relationships, someone will give you this impression that they just know, they know what you're thinking. They can read your thoughts. Some cult leaders will say, even after you leave, I'll still be able to be in your head. I will read your thoughts. I mean, it's such a sick thing to do to someone. Yeah. And so you don't have the privacy of your own thoughts that, you know, there is a particular Bible-based cultic group that has people sit down and do what's called a sin study, where you have to write out a list of all of your sins. And it could be even just things you thought. And uh, if the list is short, they're unhappy with you. So sometimes people will conjure up a lot of other things just to make the person happy with them. And then they keep that on file, very a la Scientology. Um, the thing with privacy too, is that it is usually switched over to the word secrecy right away when there is a negative connotation given to it. Mm. So within cults, people will often be told you can't keep secrets, but really you're just saying, I want to have some privacy. I want to have a conversation that not everyone needs to hear. Right. And it doesn't mean I have secrets because that conveys that you have something to hide and that you're doing something wrong. And so I think the language, it plays a really big part in how you can just even feel about privacy. And the, I mean, there are so many things to talk about with this, but the other part is that there is this unevenness because you are supposed to keep things private from people outside of the group and the relationship, but you have to share everything right? and everyone knows your business within the group. So you operate in these extremes, which is sometimes then hard once you leave, because you don't know how much information you're supposed to be sharing with any given person. Oh, very much so. And in fact, I struggled for years with oversharing with people uh, as a habit. It was just a habit, mm -hmm. you know, just mm -hmm. I, I just talk to people socially, uh, you know, at parties or get togethers. And I'd be telling them all kinds of things about my business. And I could start to sense it took me a little while to start to mm -hmm. sense that it was sometimes making people uncomfortable or sometimes, you know, it was just over, it was just oversharing. They just didn't want that much detail. They didn't need to know that much. And I was just so used to uh, what, what I came to realize was I was actually more like doing a daily report to them than I was having a social conversation. It was like, mm -hmm. oh yeah, and yesterday I did this, da, 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 and this week I did, da, 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 da. you know, like I'm, like I'm debriefing. <laughs> Right. Because that's the habit that I was very much into when I was in the Sea Organ in Scientology is you go report back, you know, and and especially uh, with the nature of the work I was doing all the time being out on on projects and stuff. So mm -hmm. so this privacy thing became very, very much uh, something I thought was not um, not a need that I had. <laughs> and it took mm -hmm. me a long time to kind of mm -hmm. get back around to figure out where are the boundaries? Like this is all about mm -hmm. busting down boundaries, breaking apart mm -hmm. boundaries, right? And and this was a concept that took me a long time to get my wits around. And I've encountered this with many, many, many other people too. This isn't just mm -hmm. my experience where, you know, we talked about this in, even in my education is that is that you have to reestablish for a person their sense of boundaries, their sense of, of, of self and where their walls kind of exist and mm -hmm. the fact that they can have walls and that's okay. And maybe mm -hmm. they're porous, maybe some stuff goes in and out, or maybe they're solid. And, and what are the levels of this and what does a person want for themselves? You know, reestablishing that coming out of a, of a, of a, one of these uh, situations, these relationships is difficult because they, it's, it's funny how the narcissist type, the predator type, the cult leader type, they, they, they seem to have this urgent need for full transparency on your part. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, do you think that comes from their fear? Uh, yeah. So, um, I, I think there are a couple of things there. Uh, one is that 
information is power. Uh, um, uh. And so they can then use the information any way they want. Usually it will be thrown back at you in mm-hmm. some way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's a manipulation where you're giving over your power, um, even though they will say is for your benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I think the other thing is it's a power play in general, because sometimes cult leaders want to know that you're going to do something just because they want you to. Mm-hmm. And so if they say, well, you need to tell me about this experience, like they kind of want to make you squirm. They enjoy it. And they want to see if, if they can push you enough, if you'll share everything in sometimes in those moments, the content of what you're saying doesn't matter nearly as much as the fact that they got you to say it. Yeah. Good point. Good point there. Because that's, that's how I think you kind of break those boundaries down for Mm -hmm. a person or to a person really, because you're kind of doing something to them in this case. Um, because of course, what also goes along with this is, is an enforced trust. Mm-hmm. Well, of course you're going to share this with me because I am the most holy of holies or whatever. And so if you want the goodness and the, and the love or the, the benefits of what I can share with you, well, here's the price of admission, right? As you have to. Mm-hmm give me all your secrets or give me all of your personal right. intimate thoughts or ideas. Mm-hmm. And they'll, mm-hmm. they'll label this lots of different ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? yeah, right. In Scientology, it's all about not having withholds, you see, because uh-huh. withholds yeah. are what keep your bank, you know, your, 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 mm-hmm. your case, your awfulness in place. And so, you know, you have to be transparent because you'll never become fully responsible or a truly realized, actualized spiritual entity if you are carrying around all these secrets with you, see, so. Right, and and I think also the, the biggest irony that you find out uh, after you leave a relationship like this or a cult like this is that the person who has the largest number of secrets is the leader. Yes. <laughs> Always. Always, always. Mm-hmm. it always works out that way, right? You never quite know them, right? I think That's about right. the people who were the, you know, uh, the messengers, right? In Scientology, who talk. One of them told me about how it was her job to hide all of the uh, medicine bottles when people would come in to take photos of him because he was supposed to be above having to right. take any kind of medication. It was her job to hide his, you know, his pills. Uh, so yes, there are a lot of secrets they have much more than you. That's right. That's right. I wanted to sort of throw out there for people who are listening to this, you know, we've, we've given a lot of markers here, a lot of red flags of things you guys could watch for out there to, you know, to be aware of when these boundaries are being violated or busted down inappropriately. You know, there's nothing wrong with 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 being open with somebody else and having an open relationship. It's this, but it's this imbalance we're pointing out that is actually one of these big red flags. Is is when you give over knowledge about yourself, like you mentioned, it's power. You are giving yourself over to this person. If they're not reciprocating, mm-hmm. you that imbalance is going to matter. Oh, it's so interesting, right? Because while you're talking, you might not be noticing that they're not sharing their stuff because, uh, you know, you're making them happy by answering their questions. But yeah, it's a really good thing to practice thinking, wait, how much have I actually heard in return? And if it really isn't anything and it's just more questions, like somehow they're a talk show host in your life, then it's, it is not a good idea. I have the same thing that happens in terms of boundaries, even in, in therapy sessions where, um, you know, I, I don't know if I've mentioned this before with you, but I really don't like the word resistance when it's used, um, as a negative, uh, in terms of therapy, especially Mm. because I think there's always a reason and it could be because the therapist hasn't uh, established themselves as a trustworthy person yet. Mm -hmm. 
and or because you've been hurt in the past, you don't want to suddenly open yourself up too quickly. You want to understand why someone is saying, hmm, I don't really want to share this with you. But you also, I think, as a professional, want to notice when someone is oversharing and to kind of slow them down and to say, you know, before you continue, especially if they've been used and abused in yes. this way, before you continue, think about what you know about me so far in the way that I've responded to you. Do you feel safe continuing on to talk about your story? Um, I'll kind of help people measure how much they share, but based on the evidence that they're taking in, um, have you liked the way I've responded? Have you not? Do you feel like you have to say more because it's going to make me happy with you just to understand the dynamic? Big time, big time. And let's remember, I'll harken back to what I was saying at the beginning here and all throughout our series on this, which is that these are needs. Mm -hmm, Privacy mm -hmm. is a need that you have. It's okay mm -hmm. to keep right. some things to yourself. Oh, yeah. It, oh, yeah. And sometimes it's best, right? Right. <laughs> right. So, the people who don't keep anything to themselves, they usually don't have a lot of friends. Um, um, <laughs> but yes. yeah, they're, that's why they're like in comic strips, they're thought bubbles. Like, mm, I was just thinking, but I'm not going to say. You want to you you want to make good decisions around the information that you share, right? And and also never feel like you're being strong armed into sharing it. Exactly, exactly. And you know one one little trick, by the way, that um, that that uh, predators get away with is they will share once. Oh, right. Like they're, yeah. they're in the get to know you phase. Mm-hmm. They'll tell you something right. weighty or important or big. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. it. Right. And oh, then they expect so you to reciprocate and keep yeah. reciprocating. And uh -huh. they'll ride the clout, the credit that they got on that one reveal. Uh huh. And that's right. how that's their predatory game. That's how they get you. That's that, that it's something that is that sounds really awful or sounds really revelatory. You know, okay, maybe it was, you know, but it's just right. once, right? Right, but then, right, it engages the idea of reciprocity right. and safety and openness and, right, they just get the ball rolling. That's right. And then it just, they just keep getting from you wow. and really not giving back. That's such a good point. Yeah. Yeah. So it's real tricky stuff here, guys. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, moving right along, and this goes yeah. right in with this actually is the next, next emotional need. And that is the value or sense of self or mm -hmm. ego, right? The feeling that you exist as an, as your own independent entity, that you, that, that, that existence matters, mm -hmm. that, that it's real, that it matters. Right. And that you have a sense of that. And, and where this is probably really best understood is when it's taken away from you, because mm -hmm. uh, this, uh, like we talked about or just a few minutes ago, this over or exaggerated sense of community goes mm -hmm. hand in hand with that, right? Because if you get into one of these groups or get into a relationship situation where the relationship or the group becomes the over domineering or dominating personality you could say or identity mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you lose yourself in that picture mm -hmm. right you become the least important part of this picture what you give to the relationship what you give to the group becomes all that matters and yeah. that's where it becomes of course destructive and harmful for a person mm -hmm. because you are actually losing this and denying this emotional need that you have to exist too. Mm -hmm. Right, right, exactly right. Yeah, you know, so many people will uh, leave these situations and not feel worthy. Yes. Uh, not feel like good things should come to them because they hadn't been self-sacrificial enough. 
um, because they hadn't worked 24 hours a day, you know? That's right. Um, and so there is this devaluing of the self that comes from this very uh, critical eye that you feel has been watching you because it has been. Mm -hmm. And then you can internalize that and just feel like you are lazy if you put your feet up for a minute, you know, all of it, that you're not a good person somehow, or you're weak or you abandoned the world because you left. And so that shows that you're not a good person. But yeah, I think that once you go into a particular cultic group or kind of cultic relationship, your value is based on how much you fulfill the needs of the other. Yep. Only. That's right. That's right. And, and so then how do you get a sense again that you matter? And it's it's hard because you you focusing on the self has been deemed selfish. And so how do you see it as self-care? Exactly. Exactly. This is actually right on this point that gets brought up from time to time in, in the ex-cult world about the pre-cult personality. Mm-hmm. You know, Hassan mm-hmm. talks about this. And I, I kind of, I don't quite see it exactly that way, but I see it more on, the, on this point of these needs. I look at it and I think... When you get into one of these predatory, abusive, you know, high control situations, um, mm-hmm. your sense of self is by design smashed, right? Somebody is pushing that out of the picture. You, mm-hmm. you as an individual only, only have value or meaning to the degree that you are making or bringing value to this relationship, whether it's cult relationship or individual relationship. That's how it is. It is redefined, and mm-hmm. and and so you develop a different set of values and morality and what's important yeah. and what's not, yeah. based mm-hmm. on this new paradigm, this new model, right? Of mm-hmm. of you have to satisfy the cult leader, you have to satisfy mm-hmm. your partner. You you you're only good to the degree you're doing those things, right? And. Mm-hmm. And, and we get convinced of this because we buy into this inherent goodness of the group or the, or the value of the relationship or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we, we invest in it and we go, well, yeah, of course I'm supposed to contribute to this. I'm supposed to bring it my all and, and give it my all. And if I don't, I'm, I'm somehow denying the organization or the group or the relationship, mm-hmm. you know, the, the, the potential that it could have. So, so it's easy. It's kind of easy to, 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 to flip these switches in us and get us really going all in on this stuff. But my point is that when there's a line that gets crossed where you, your value as an individual in this equation is suddenly is kind of, is kind of suppressed or subsumed. It's, it's taken over by the value of the relationship or the group. And, and I think that's where this emotional need gets hit. But I think that's also sort of the, 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 the way that this sort of personality change happens and you mm-hmm. kind of literally become a different person mm-hmm. because you're subscribing to a whole new set of ideas and values and you take that on as though this is the right way for me to be now. Mm-hmm. And it just so happens in doing so, you kind of lose yourself in the process. And, and that's why we kind of have an objection to that. Kind of. Right. Yes, because I think also it's I think it's deemed that the ideal way to be is um, based upon the person in charge. Yep. So even you at your core have to really judge yourself that if you're having ideas that are different from usually the sociopath who's running the group that somehow there's something wrong with you. I mean, talk about trippy. And the other part is that there are some groups and some people, some gurus and others who are really blatant about this. And will talk uh, to people about needing to become an empty vessel. Mm. And they'll actually use these words. 
and you have to really just drain yourself, like <laughs> open the drain, Boom, you're just gone so that they can pour in how they want you to be in the way that serves them. Yes. Uh, you're the cog in the wheel. You are just, you're, you're this empty thing that then in a much uh, easier way with a lot um, less confidence about um, kind of withholding this, you can be led because uh, yes. you don't have that sense, or at least it's not like it's gone. It's that you're supposed to ignore it, you're supposed to ignore the self, right? Exactly. Which is really important that it's still there. Uh, and every once in a while you hear it and you feel it, but you're supposed to ignore it. Um, and I, I tell people just listen, listen when it's talking to you, um, and when you are talking to you, basically. Um, yeah. But yeah, if you don't have this core, like I see it as like a tree trunk, you're going to just be able to sway in the wind wherever you're pulled. And it's, um, it's a hard thing because people know how, how it will be the thing that's going to make you too strong to be controlled and too independent to conform. And that's why they want to get rid of it. That's right. That's right. Here's another way of thinking about this, um, another framing of this that I think people might understand or, or, or glom onto. And that is, you know, we often have had, a lot of us have had relationships in the past, romantic relationships or friendships, where we felt lost in the bigger picture of the partner. Um, mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. our partner was so big, larger than life, important to us, maybe demanding <laughs> that mm -hmm. that you and that you find yourself over time feeling like you're giving more and more and more of yourself over to this thing mm -hmm. another way of looking at it is this all too common phrasing that we get a la Jerry Maguire <laughs> mm -hmm. you complete me Right, right. Mm -hmm. Now I gotta. I I I know that this is very romantic, and there's a lot of very romantic stuff mixed up in this, and people really kind of get funny ideas about what love is. Mm -hmm. uh, and having been through a few forms of it myself, you know, mm -hmm. you you come, you know, you you learn some life lessons, and one of those yeah. I believe, and I believe this very strongly, is that. <laughs> If you do not have this sense of self, this emotional need that we all have again, remember, this is something we all got, and there's nothing wrong with it. This is not a, this is not a deficiency on your part that you should have a sense of self. Mm -hmm. It's a strength. It's actually not a weakness if mm -hmm. you do it right. Mm -hmm. Because we have this emotional need, right? I, mm -hmm. I believe that if you are not confident, feeling good about yourself, feeling like you have a sense of self and right. that you don't need somebody else in your life to complete yeah. you. Yes. Right. Right. I think that's right. the healthy place to be yeah. is, is, it, you mm -hmm. know, it, and it's not, and it's not, we're all an Island and I don't need anybody else. It's not that extreme. It's not that mm -hmm. end of the spectrum. It's mm -hmm. just a sense of self. You know who you are. You are comfortable mm -hmm. with yourself. You are happy with yourself. You mm -hmm. please yourself. You do things in your life for you, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. Yeah. I think that is a, re a requirement to bring into any relationship, if you're going to bring yourself into a relationship without bringing the other person down, you know, because you're going to be yeah. a bit of a vampire if you feel that you have to have somebody else in your life to make you happy, you know, mm -hmm. to give your life mm -hmm. meaning or satisfaction. I, I think that there's something amiss there if somebody is yeah. is unbalanced in that way. But I wanted to I wanted to throw that out there. What do you What do you think about all that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I I think that there are a lot of people who will see relationships as opportunities for themselves, and they're not necessarily thinking about 
what they want to give to somebody else. And if it is something that, you know, just doesn't come up in conversation, like it just, uh, you know, where they're not saying, and what do you want? You know, back to the privacy, like how much is the other person sharing? You really want to be able to, to see that, to notice that, that, um, that, you want to also notice about yourself if you're the kind of person who, let's say, if you're asked, where do you want to go for dinner? And, you know, you might always say, I don't care. It's really good to practice saying something uh, just to see how the other person responds to it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, even in little ways, you want to you want to notice if there is kind of equality and or if someone is sort of just feeding off of you accommodating to them. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Boy, it's complicated stuff, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah, I just thought I'd throw that throw that one out there just because yeah. it's another way people talk about or think about these things. And I thought that it might, you know, it, it, again, when it's imbalanced or out of whack, then it, then it can create a lot of trouble for people. So. Right. Yes. All right. Um, moving right along here, our next mm-hmm. our next need is that of achievement. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's yeah. an interesting one, huh? Uh-huh. It's an interesting one. You know, first, um, the issue with it is that you want to define it well. You want to define what an achievement is because with someone who wants to take advantage of you, Um, your level of achievement is how much you have become an empty vessel. Uh, Your level of achievement is how much you self-sacrificed or how much suffering you were willing to go through. Yeah. Uh, And so that's not an achievement. Uh, (laughs) It's an achievement for them, not for you. Right, exactly, exactly. And, you know, the other thing that, you know, and this is why I try to help people not get it, well, if I can help it, try to help, people not get into situations like this to begin with, because I feel like so many of the achievements that we have within cultic systems or controlling relationships become kind of hollow achievements. First of all, they're not recognized by the people around you who need for, especially the people in charge of you, who need to be the only ones getting attention for their achievements. So all that you do gets ignored. But it also often doesn't translate to the world outside. And someone I talked to years ago who had been in charge of the Celebrity Center for a long period of time, Mm -hmm. suddenly he left. I mean, he had a very big position and he like people were like bowing down to this person and did whatever he said. Um, The day that he left, I'll, I'll never forget this line. He said he was walking around and he realized the crown that he was wearing was invisible. He didn't like, what is that? So someone says, what have you been doing? Or what do you feel good about? Or what have you achieved? Mm, did I achieve something that actually means something in the world? Right. You know, or did it just mean something there? Um, but yeah, achievement is very, very important. And I think also when you feel like you've worked towards something and when you've earned something, um, that feels really, really good. There's a lot of dialogue uh, now with people, with parents also who say, you know, um, all the kids get trophies now, right? They get like a, I mean, I, I shouldn't complain about that because I still have my soccer trophy that said participant. So, okay. <laughs> right. Um, so, and I, now I hang on to it just because it's hilarious. Uh, I didn't realize the irony at the time. Um, but, um, you know, is that an achievement? And, right. you know, knowing that you work towards something does help build confidence and helps you walk taller in the world. And you also want to be careful of people not devaluing your achievements because there are plenty of parents even who you feel so happy and proud of your A minus and right. The parents as well, but you know, you could have gotten an A. Exactly. Exactly. This one has really important, I think, maybe more so than some of the others to, to keep in perspective with the other emotional needs in terms of valuation of this, because you brought up right at the gate, 
you brought up a very good point, which is that you can have a sense of achievement or feel that this need is being fulfilled by carrying out actions or tasks or duties that are given to you externally by, an, a, let's say, a predator who, who uh, you know, it's really not in the long run a good thing right, for you to be mm-hmm. achieving mm-hmm. By, you know, uh, going out and fundraising $100 a day for Reverend Moon. Right. Right. I mean, sure, that's, mm-hmm. an, that's an achievement. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but it's interesting how when you actually get into the details of that, you find that they're playing on your emotional need for achievement by putting goals out there or targets out there that are always just too much for you ever to really achieve. Yeah. And this was rife in Scientology, right? My experience with that, especially when it came to the money. We were given quotas and targets to be met, and they were always these hyper-exaggerated, ridiculous amounts of money, a million dollars a week, you know, these kinds of targets, right? (laughs) Where you could, where the entire base would then be activated and everybody was going full tilt boogie to get that million dollars. And well, what did we achieve? We achieved 500,000 or 300,000 or whatever we achieved. Well, it wasn't a million, was it? So we achieved more than we ever would have achieved otherwise by pursuing this target that was insane. Mm-hmm. And this is a little manipulation game that that, that mm-hmm. these predators will play is that is the targets are always just out of reach. And the game is, well, this is just to motivate you, right? Sort of thing. But the language and the punishments mm-hmm. are always in place because you mm-hmm. didn't really achieve that mainline unachievable goal that is constantly put there. So you make a highest ever, a $300,000 or $400,000 week, but it wasn't the target. So nobody gets a reward. Unbelievable. It's such a setup. It's such a setup to, to know that, I mean, it's this emotional trap. Yes. Um, You know, to raise that much money ever, like in your life, but to do it in one week is huge. And I'm sure people worked round the clock, didn't sleep. And still you failed. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. And that's that manipulation component. That's that we're going to twist it. We're always going to, there's always going to be a little twist. And you don't see that twist coming all the time mm-hmm. either. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, it, and you can forget about these things. You can, you know, they, they, they happen and it was a disappointment or it wasn't, you know, satisfying or whatever. And you're like, ah, and you go on and go on to the next week and you kind of, and they, they just pile up. These things just pile up. And after a couple of years of this, you're like, why does my life suck so hard? Why does it mm-hmm. feel like I'm not getting anything done or accomplishing anything? Mm-hmm. In other words, this emotional need is not being fulfilled. Right. Right. Because you're never given the win. That you're Mm. never allowed to have the win. It's never good enough. Mm. And that is one of the biggest manipulation tactics Mm -hmm. that doesn't really get talked about often enough, I think. But it just came up perfectly here. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, this is a constant in cults and in relationships is putting out little little goals, little targets that they know you can't meet. Right. Putting a lot of pressure on you to meet it anyway, and then holding you accountable because you didn't meet it. Unbelievable. Right. And then there are courses you need to take because you didn't, or you have to go in the RPF because you didn't. That's right. And so there's always a reason then that you need them more. That's right. Um, Right? Because if they give you a task and you do it, then there's going to be this sort of pregnant silence and pause. (laughs) Like, hmm, okay, yeah, what do we... Well, like I didn't plan for this moment. Um, and right. so that's why, you know, a lot of people I've actually even heard with some people who, who talk about achieving a goal and it, they could see it made the person uncomfortable. And so they found a way to diminish it. Yep. Well, 
but yeah. I could tell that you didn't do it with a joyful heart or uh, whatever it is. That's right. Right. That's I have right. to find something. Or mm-hmm. um, if that happens all the time. I saw that way more times than I even saw this, which is when you make it. Yeah. Okay, great. You get an acknowledgement, right? Yay. Oh, my God. They made a million. Mm-hmm. Woo. So what's the target next week? Two million. Oh, two. <laughs> right? It's yeah. always going to be that, you know, oh, you're that. See, here was the here was the trap in Scientology that I I watched this happen over years till I finally kind of started cluing in on how this works. And that was okay. the producers, the people who could make those crazy targets would themselves be beaten into submission or beaten into failure mm. by, again, giving them a higher target and a higher one. Because eventually you're going to hit it. You're going to hit the mm-hmm. point where the person is just, that. no, I can't yeah. do that. Yeah. But they're gonna, you're going to make them keep trying anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, it's this mm-hmm. vicious, vicious, vicious circle. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something cult leaders love doing. They love doing that crap. Mm-hmm. And finally, yes. topping it all off here, meaning the emotional mm-hmm. need for meaning right and this is this is heart and soul of why people get involved in to uh high control groups or mm-hmm. situations they really shouldn't be involved in is because they're mm-hmm. looking for some purpose or meaning or direction uh or they they have one and they think this group or outfit or relationship is is going to fit the bill and uh, of course when we talk about abusive situations then of course that's that's not what's happening no, but the search no. for meaning, the need for mm-hmm. meaning is mm-hmm. is front and center in so many people's existence. Right, as it should be. I mean, I'm thinking of the book Man's Search for Meaning, mm. um, which is, I mean, you know, it's a book written from the perspective of someone who lived through the Holocaust, who in a concentration camp had to find meaning <laughs> uh, just to live out a day, yeah. you know, had to find a purpose, yeah. not that there was this grand purpose for him being there, but just each day, what could he do? How could he help in, in even small ways, share a crumb of bread, something. Yeah. Um, there's this quote um, from Mark Twain, where he says the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. (laughs) And that is beautiful. Yeah. Because I think, you know, meaning also, um, it gives you a sense that it answers why. And it answers what, like, what is my purpose? What should I be doing? Um, It can also help you during very difficult times. You know, if you don't have a sense of meaning and life is hard, then what's the point? And that's when people get suicidal. Um, and I, I also think that when you're dealing with meaning, um, you want to make sure that you don't let someone else define your meaning. Because if you really feel like you have a sense of what matters to you or you're developing that sense, um, a cult leader or a controller will shift that for you, that your meaning on this earth is to be an auditor or to whatever. Um, Something, again, in-house that serves, you know, the group. So I think it just like you don't want to have people define you, you don't want to have people define your meaning. And that's why it's important to find it, to find your meaning. And there's also not one right answer. You can find something that's meaningful to you now, and it might shift to something else later. And that's perfectly fine. There are many things that can define your meaning and that have meaning for you. That's right. Um, there's a, uh, poem, which I'm not finding right now, but I am finding the key quote from it, uh, which goes right along with what you were just mentioning, which is why I'm going to bring this up. Now, this is attributed to Confucius, although there's another poem that this is, that this line is utilized in, which I had heard it from first, but this apparently is being attributed to Confucius. And it is this, you have two lives. The second begins when you realize you only have one. Ah, 
That's so good. <laughs> I love that one. Yeah. Love that one. It's yeah. um it was used as a as a as a line in a um in a poem too that that somebody read a few oh, months ago. Really but yeah. I really I love it. I love it cuz it it really it really puts it there with a bang that like mm-hmm. meaning that idea mm-hmm. of sense of purpose or direction of what am I doing? You know, mm-hmm. and, and and you really do. It really is a very, very important moment in your life mm-hmm. when you realize a few really key important things that that you are mortal. Yeah, <laughs> you right? Know? Right? That there really is There's only that. so much time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's annoying, right? Uh, it it right? is a little. It is yes. a little. Uh, and 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 this then comes this this reality of mm-hmm. oh you had your life before you realized that and now you have your life after and yeah. they really are it really does it's beautiful I I like that quote a lot and I know that I I'm sorry that I have to run but I I know that yes. you know when people leave um, they feel like they've left the meaning of their life behind and. They haven't. They left right. the meaning they were given, um, but they have a way now of finding a meaning that actually is going to be much more in line with what is true for them. Yes. And that's actually, it's, it's, it's not a loss as much as it's an opportunity. Big time. I could not agree more. And on. And on that happy note, because we are short of time right now, we are going to wrap this up. We wanted to cover all of these points. And I think we did a decent job over three episodes of of covering, you know, the basic human emotional needs that all of us have, whether we're in the deserts of Mongolia or, you know, the the, the teeming streets of New York. I think all Mm -hmm. of us have these nine component characteristics, whatever you want to call them. And I think that it's important that we know about them, that we be aware of them, and that we think about them in and assess them from time to time and sort of take an inventory of where we at, how we're doing, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a very, very healthy thing for each of us as individuals to do. And I really recommend going over these podcasts and this information to um to to really get that information home to you because i i can't think of a better way to proof somebody up against predators or high control situations Mm -hmm. than to give them a very strong sense of self and Mm -hmm. educate them as to what their actual needs are Mm -hmm. oh absolutely and thank you for this and you know i know that your audience is very appreciative of all that you put out and and provide. And I think this is a really nice way of bringing the message home that this these are things that everybody grapples with um, and that should also be treated kindly. Because, yes. right, these are, these are things that we all feel and that we all need. Exactly. Um, so thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Rachel, for doing these podcasts with me. I really, really appreciate it. And you have been uh, a, a, an amazing uh co-host here with these. So thank you. Oh, my pleasure. It's a lot of fun to talk to you and uh, hopefully we'll do it again. Absolutely. All right, folks, uh, let's go ahead and wrap it up the show for this week. Thank you very much for coming around and listening to us gab on here. I really, truly hope that these shows have been uh, useful, educational, informative, and possibly entertaining to you. And if you find that uh, this is a show or channel you want to support, join me on Patreon, PayPal, or uh, Venmo. Links are in the description section to this video. All right, guys, see you next week. Bye-bye.